Heavenly Father, we come and we praise you yet again for your righteous laws and your word. We ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to help us so that this may not be the last time that we praise you for your word, but that this is uh, a continuation, that we will continue to recognise your righteous ways and your righteous word and continue to rejoice in it and praise you, the one who has spoken it to us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we resume our series in the book of John. It's been about a month since uh, we were together and looking at John's gospel together. But this is a passage that is getting fairly familiar to us, a situation that is familiar to us, because we see that the Lord Jesus is continuing to give final instructions to his disciples before his death. Uh, He has his last supper with the disciples, and it's like a deathbed scene where he's speaking to his disciples as a uh, a father to his children and sharing with them uh, some of the matters of life that comes before them and giving them some advice and counsel. And his disciples haven't quite twigged to the fact that he is going to his death. He has warned them a number of times in his ministry that he would be crucified, uh, but they seem to still not understand what is going on. And we see this in verse 17. If you've got a Bible, there, I encourage you to have it open before you, uh, to John chapter 16, verse 17, we read, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Disciples haven't worked out what the Lord Jesus is speaking about when he says, I'm going away in a little while. But what is he speaking about here? Well, he goes on to explain what will happen in a little while. Uh, We read in verse 19, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? He goes on to explain what this little while is. Verse 20, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Here we understand that the Lord Jesus is explaining to them what he means by in a little while he will go, but then after a little while he will, they, his disciples will see him again. And we understand what it is because he describes what the first little while will look like and what the second experience will be for them. What is the first little while going to be like? Well, it's going to be a time of weeping, lamenting, mourning and grieving, that there will be this time of grief. But then after that little while of grief, joy will come to them. So what is Jesus describing here? Well, commentators do disagree a little bit about what is being described in this passage, uh, but most of them will agree that what has to be spoken of here is his death, that he will leave them for a little while, for three days, and then he will return to them, and they will see him again and experience the joy of knowing the risen Lord. And this we see happens in the New Testament. We see that the disciples do mourn, they do grieve, they do weep in the next little while because they see the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples mourn when Jesus is arrested, they mourn when he is humiliated by flogging, by insults, by beatings, by the spitting upon him, they mourn when they see him crucified, they mourn when they see the world rejoice 
at his humiliation and death. And we see the, even a, a, a mention of that in verse 20. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. A reference to the Pharisees sneering and making derogatory comments to the Lord Jesus as he's there on the cross. It is, concerns them and causes them to weep and to mourn to see the world rejoice at the sufferings of their saviour. And then, of course, when they hear the cry of Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It causes them to mourn as well as they see the wrath of God coming down upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He experiences the physical sufferings, but there he is experiencing great mental torment as the wrath of God comes upon him. Of course they would weep and they would mourn and they would grieve. And then they mourn to see him buried in the earth. That is a part of Christ's humiliation as well, that he was humiliated by being put into the grave. And there's a finality to his death. While he's up on the cross, he's still alive. But when he's in the grave, there's a finality. Whenever you go to a funeral and you see someone lowered down into the ground, there's a mourning that grips your heart as you see the finality of this. There's still a part of you that I think has some sort of hope, but when you see the person lowered into the grave, you know it's all over. And so, of course, the disciples would mourn as they see the stone rolled and locked in place, that there's a finality to the death of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, they would be mourning. Why? Because they know that this person never did anything wrong to deserve this, that he was a good and holy person. He did not deserve such a humiliation before his death, a humiliating death, and then to be placed in that grave. And then, of course, they mourn because this is someone not who they're mildly acquainted with. They know he's a good man. No, this is a person who they know and they love and they depend upon. Of course they would mourn. There are people dying all around us every day, but we don't mourn over them. We mourn over the ones that we know and we love. And, of course, the disciples, in a little while, would weep and wail. They would lament and grieve and mourn and of course, they would also have a hint of mourning in their hearts because they know that part of the reason Christ went to the cross was because of them. Jesus even warns of this in verse 32. Verse 32, he says, But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. While the disciples think about the Lord Jesus and his death, they think about how they abandoned him, how they were scattered. And you think about the Apostle Peter, who in the next chapter, uh, two chapters down, in chapter 18, he will deny the Lord Jesus three times and then weep bitterly over the fact that he did not come to the aid of his Lord. This is tragic. How could you not weep, mourn and grieve at the loss of the Lord Jesus? But what else does Jesus say will happen in a little while? He says that the grief will turn to joy. Verse 20, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. How is that possible, that their grief could turn to joy? When there are so many reasons to be sad, what could possibly happen? Well, it's because they will see the Lord again. And he tells us this, that they will see the resurrected Christ. In verse 19, he says... Uh, uh, I'll take from the beginning of the verse. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? He hints at it there, but then if we jump down to verse 22, he says it again. So with you now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. 
Why would the disciples rejoice at seeing the Lord Jesus Christ raised from the dead? Well, of course, the disciples have regained their loss. They're grieving because they've lost something. Who grieves about a loss if they've got it back? If you lose a million dollars and then three days later get it back, are you still going to grieve about the fact that you lost a million dollars three days ago? No, you'll be joyful because you've regained it. And so, of course, the disciples, even as we consider how terrible the death of the Lord Jesus is, and we think, how could anything overcome such a a grief in people's hearts? What could overcome that grief? Seeing the Lord Jesus risen again. They would regain their Lord once more. And they would understand by his resurrection that he is truly the Christ. They would understand in a way that they haven't understood before. And they would understand that he is indeed the Son of God. And they would understand that Jesus is never to die again, that he will never be taken away from them. Their joy can not be taken from them, is what's said in verse 22. So so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Why? Because he cannot die again. And so their joy would be a continued joy. And then as they understand... The risen Lord, they understand his death in light of the risen Lord. And they understand that his death was all about atonement for sin, including their sin. And so the cross is no longer a source of mourning for them, but a source of joy. Because they understand that he was raised for their justification after he is called out, it is finished on the cross. And they rejoice because not only have they got the risen Lord back, but they know that one day they too will be raised to life. That he is the firstborn from the dead, but there will be more who will be born from the dead one day, and they will be included in that number. So the pain, the mourning, the grief that they have fades as joy fills their heart, a joy that can never be taken away. And these words are an encouragement for us, I think, this morning as well, because we go through a similar experience. How? Well, we as believers have all mourned and wept and grieved over the sufferings of Christ Jesus. As we read of the Lord Jesus Christ's sufferings in the scripture, we should mourn as well. And haven't we done so? Haven't we mourned over seeing Christ arrested and humiliated, seeing what they did to him, the crown of thorns put upon his brow? Haven't we mourned to see Christ crucified and understand what it means that he was crucified on the cross? Haven't we mourned over the rejoicing of Christ's enemies at the cross, the mocking and the sneering that was there? Haven't we mourned to see that? Haven't we mourned to see Christ cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Haven't we mourned to see Jesus put in that tomb? Haven't we mourned to see that such humiliation come to someone who never did anything wrong? We don't just read the end of the Gospels, we read the full Gospels, and we see this person who is just so perfect, who knows how to answer everyone, who is gracious and kind, and then we see him crucified. And then we mourn because this is someone that we've come to love, someone that we've come to know and admire. And haven't we mourned to see our sins roll in that crucifixion of that person, to understand that it is our sin that held him there, until it was accomplished. Haven't we mourned over that? Haven't we mourned to consider that it should be us calling out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And instead he was calling that out on our behalf. Yes, we have mourned over Christ's death too. I remember doing this at the age of about 11 or 12, 
Sadly, when you're a child, everything gets blended together and you can't quite remember when you did what and you don't have diaries at those times. But around the age of 12, I remember reading John's Gospel and I remember reading John chapter 19 and being moved and an understanding being granted to me by the Holy Spirit that that was me with him that day. And the sufferings that were going to Christ were my sufferings that I deserved. And I was grieved to consider that was my sin that drew him to that cross that day. Haven't we all experienced that if we're believers in Christ Jesus? Yet, we also know a joy, don't we? We know a joy of knowing that Jesus was raised to life and remains alive. Haven't we all rejoiced to know that Jesus is raised to life and will never die again? He will never die again. Haven't we rejoiced to know that Jesus truly is the Christ, the Son of God? Haven't we rejoiced to know that Jesus is still alive 2,000 years later and will remain so? Haven't we rejoiced to know that Christ's death is the atonement of sin? That the resurrection points to the fact that he has died in our place and it is finished. No more to pay. Haven't we rejoiced to know that? And haven't we rejoiced to know that one day we too will be raised to life as he was raised to life? That we will be amongst those born out of the grave. He is the firstborn, yes, but we one day will be raised to life as well. Hasn't joy filled our hearts even as we have mourned and grieved over the death of Christ? We've come to the resurrection and a joy has filled our hearts. Yes, we still cling to the side of the resurrected Christ, but the pain subsides. Really, you say, does the pain subside? Yes, our ache over sin is there and our ache over Christ's pain is still there and we feel it every day as we're confronted by our sins, as we continue to remember the cross and every communion service, as we come to the communion service, there's a part of us that grieves, there's an ache that's there. But the ache gives way to joy that never ceases as we contemplate the risen Christ. What is this like, this process of the mourning, the grieving and then the joy that comes? Well, the Bible gives us a wonderful illustration for it. What is it like? Well, it's like childbirth. And we see that in verse 21. The Lord Jesus gives this illustration to the disciples so that they can understand what they're going to go through. Verse 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. It's a fitting illustration. Why? Because childbirth is painful. It's an intense physical pain for the woman. And there's also psychological pain involved. There's a psychological pain. As there's worries about the pain itself, you get the first few contractions, oh, this is okay, but you're worried about what the next contractions will be like. And you can be worried about the death that may come. So many women have died in childbirth. It's not as much of an issue for a woman today, but in the past, so many women died in childbirth. Of course, there's a psychological pain and a worry and anxiety about the death that could come in the labour. And of course, there's a worry and a concern that now the time has come and I've got to look after this child into the future. My wife likes to comment that you can get a licence for everything, for doing lots of things, like if you want to drive on the roads, you have to get a licence. If you want to practice medicine, you have to get a licence. You have to be accredited for this and for that. Even to do CPR on someone, technically speaking, you should have done some training for it. But when it comes to looking after a baby, there's no licence for that. There's no certification. 
And then the government approves, yes, you can now have a baby. And so there's all these worries and concerns. Yes, you can do some premarital, uh, not premarital, uh, pre, what do you call it, maternity classes, uh, that you, you, uh, you get trained in something of what to, is to come and to expect. But there's still the worries and the anxieties about what will I do with this little baby that will be completely dependent upon me? So why do women put up with the hours of labour? The pain, the physical pain and the psychological pain? Because they know the joy that will follow that pain. That the joy of the baby will follow that pain. We see that in verse 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Why joy? Well, there's something about that baby's face. And the mother sees that baby's face and it is enough to light up a weary, pain-ridden mother. She is there and she sees that baby and her face just lights up and the anguish is forgotten. What about the pain? Well, it lingers, of course. And medical problems may continue for the rest of her life because of that labour. And of course, there's the scars and the stretch marks that will linger for the rest of her life as well. But nothing takes away the joy as the baby grows and continues to fill the mother with delight. How far is the pain swallowed up by joy? It's swallowed up so much that the mother actually contemplates having a number two, having a second baby and a third. It's astounding. After I see that, they have one baby. You think that would be enough to write it off for the rest of their life? They'd be like, no, 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 I'm never going through that again. But the face of that baby and the experience of raising that child, it's only a couple years later and she's having her second and then maybe third, and then maybe fourth. The joy of the baby overcomes the pain. How does this fit with the experience of the disciples? Well, they will have a painful three-day labour. Jesus is warning them. They will have a painful three-day labour. But then the joy of seeing the firstborn from the dead will swallow up their anguish. The pain of Christ's death is still with them. Yes, there's an ache there, but it's overcome by the joy of seeing the living Christ. And it's the same for us. How? Well, Christians, we go through hard labour, recognising our sin and the pain of Christ Jesus because of our sin. We weep and we mourn and we grieve over our sin and Christ's death. And the contractions, they may come in waves as we are concerned about our sin again and again and we're concerned about Christ and we read about his humiliations and we understand it more. It's like those contractions of childbirth. But then what happens? We are brought to understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then what happens? Well, the anguish that we feel over our sin, the anguish we feel over Christ's pain, is overcome as joy floods our hearts. Christ causes us pain. As we look at the scriptures, he causes us pain. But then he causes us great joy. Like a baby, causing the mother pain, yes. But then bringing a joy that far outweighs the pain. 
Yes, we fill up in our flesh what is still lacking in Christ's afflictions, but the joy of the resurrected Christ overcomes all pain and anguish that we can feel in this world. And that joy can never be taken away. Why? Because Christ can't die again. And so our joy can't die either. Getting to know the risen Christ is like a mother getting to know her baby. And as she gets to know that baby, her joy increases more and more. And as we get to know the firstborn from the dead, our joy increases more and more. There is an inexhaustible joy that comes from knowing the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. The cross is not forgotten, but instead the cross becomes a source of joy. A source of joy. The labour that we went through is actually rejoiced over in light of the resurrection. Just as the stretch marks for a mother are her badges of honour, so our grief over sin and Christ's sufferings become a badge of our honour in light of the resurrection. So do you know the childbirth experience in your life? Has the Spirit led you to mourn over sin and the judgment for your sin that was poured out on Christ Jesus? Has the Spirit shown you your sin and the, the sufferings of Christ Jesus? But has the Spirit also shown you, by faith, the joy of knowing the risen Christ? Sadly, many try to avoid the labour and try to get straight to the baby. What do I mean? This is what false teachers do. They focus on the resurrection joy and the benefits, heaven. But they do not tell you about the labour, about the sin that is attached to you, the guilt that you have because of your sin, and the sufferings of Jesus Christ. We don't talk about blood. We don't talk about suffering. We don't talk about sin. We want to get straight to the baby and avoid the labour. And what do such false teachers give you? They give you a fake baby. They give you a plastic doll. They may even look beautiful for a time. Some dolls look very beautiful, almost lifelike. But what happens? The joy from a fake baby is eventually taken away. In contrast to the joy that we have in knowing the firstborn from the dead, the joy of the fake baby is taken away. And it will burn with you in the judgment if you have skipped the labour. What must you do? What must you have? Well, Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. You need godly sorrow. And that's laborious. It's like going into labour. It is laborious. But that leads to salvation, that godly sorrow. The sorrow may be short, yes, but it brings a lifetime of joy. But sorrow must be felt. It must be felt. Even if it's just a short labour. Some women, they, pregnant women, they seem to be blessed with a very quick labour. And then they get the joy. Some Christians can have a very quick labour. And then they get the joy. Some Christians can have a very long labour. And then they get the joy. Read John Bunyan's Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners just goes on and on and on and on and on. The labour of that guy over his sin. He, you think a 20-hour labour, he went on for months, possibly years, 
laboring before he received the joy of knowing the firstborn from the dead. It may be short, may be long, but you must have the labor if you are to get the joy. Otherwise, you end up with a plastic doll. Others love the labor, but ignore the baby. What do I mean? Some people love their guilt and their sufferings for sin, but not Christ's. They love to suffer. They're masochistic in one sense. They, they love the pain. They love to feel guilty. I'm such a bad person. Oh, my sufferings are awful. What are they like? They're like a woman who gives birth to a stillborn child. Their suffering produces no life. Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, that same verse I quoted before. Worldly sorrow brings death. You can have a worldly sorrow about your sin. There are plenty of people in prison who are very sorry about their sin and what the consequences have brought to them. They're suffering in prison. They'll admit it. But such a sorrow over sin only brings death. It's like a mother who labours and labours but brings forth a stillborn baby. Others, they love the labour, but the baby never arrives. What do I mean? Some people love to meditate upon the sufferings of Christ. They love to get deep into the sufferings of Christ Jesus, studying it, and they go far beyond Scripture goes in describing the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. They go into great detail. The Bible is sufficient to say they crucified him. They want to know all the gory details, and so many preachers can do that. They can describe all the horrible things that they used to do to people when they were crucified. And we make much of the crucifixion of Christ Jesus. But the joy never comes. The resurrection isn't mentioned. The risen Lord is not spoken of. What are such people like? Like a woman dying with a baby still inside her. Labour complications put down to. There were complications in labour. The woman died and the baby died as well. There was no joy. There was much suffering, contemplating the sufferings of Christ, but there's no joy that comes because they never get to the resurrection of Christ Jesus. This is part of one of the reasons why I don't like the idea of having a cross up in our church. Because there's so much more to Christianity than the cross. And the only reason the cross is such a wonderful thing to us is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't want us to focus just on the cross. I want us to focus on the resurrection, which then brings us back to the cross. And the cross becomes a badge of honour in light of the resurrection. If we hold up a cross, are we going to give this impression that that's what we're all about? About some sort of person who was martyred at some point in history. There's lots of martyrs through history. Lots of people exalt people who died. But we exalt someone who died and then came back to life. There was labour and there was a birth, firstborn from the dead. And that's why we love the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because he didn't just die, but he came back to life. We must not be imbalanced when it comes to the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus. We must grieve like a woman in labour, but rejoice like a woman with her newborn baby. We must grieve like the apostles did over Christ's death, but rejoice like the apostles did over the resurrected Christ Jesus. We see it in the New Testament. They're filled with joy that no one can take from them. Even floggings, imprisonment, death, no one could take away the joy that they had of knowing the risen Lord. And so, in fact, the labour that they went through and the labour of the Lord Jesus Christ is a badge of honour because it's seen in the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, the aches of childbirth sometimes still get us down, 
As we look at our sin, yes. And as we come to the communion table, yes. There's an ache from the childbirth, from the labour that we went through. And we still go through to some extent as we consider our sin and the sufferings of Christ afresh. But a look at the firstborn from the dead fades them away. Fades them away. We should come to the communion table, yes, and grieve over our sin, but we don't stay there. We rejoice in the fact that Christ Jesus was raised to life. Have you been grieving over your sin? Good. It's good to labour over your sin. But have you also considered afresh the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do what Lemel's hymn describes. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world, including your sins, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Let's come before him now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the God of great love and great power. And we thank you for loving us so much that you went to the cross for our sins, but then displayed your great power by rising again for your glory and for our joy. Forgive us, O Lord, for not rejoicing in your resurrection as we should. So often we'll focus so much on the cross that we do not see it in light of the resurrection. And forgive us if we focus too much on the resurrection and do not pay attention to the cross. May we all be like women who have been through childbirth, who have anguished over sin and the consequences of our sin, particularly your death, but also be like women who have seen the face of the child. May we be ones who have seen you resurrected by faith. Grant us by the power of the Holy Spirit to see your face. And so, Lord, we pray that we'd be ones who all trust in your death and resurrection and are filled with the joy so that we forget the anguish, we forget the pain of our sin and the consequences of our sin. And it's swallowed up by the joy of knowing the resurrection of the dead. And we pray this all in your name. Amen.